Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 642nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is motivating people into action to protect our ecosystems. We're talking with returning guest Jeffrey Smith about the impact of GMOs on our environment and health. Jeffrey is a best-selling author, award-winning filmmaker, and celebrated public speaker. He's influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide through his books like Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette, and his podcast, Live Healthy, Be Well. Jeffrey is the founding executive director of Institute for Responsible Technology, which has started a global education campaign called Protect Nature Now, with a documentary titled don't let the gene out of the bottle, which just won a Telly Award. Congratulations, Jeffrey! Thank you. We, absolutely, Jeffrey. We got to meet you in podcast episode five ninety back in April, where we learned about gene editing and microbes. So, welcome back to the show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Now, are, are you sure we're recording? Because I don't see the little recording thing. Oh yeah, no, we're recording. I record over here. Okay. On my, on You're my, a sophisticated uh, man. You're like. Way more sophisticated than me. Thank you. <laughs> you like, betcha. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening since we chatted last, especially around all the GMOs and them being out in the public domain? That's really what I want to touch on today. Well, there's so much evidence pouring in about the impact of both GMOs and Roundup. In fact, between the two, there's a lot more research on the Roundup component. And the reason why the two are linked, as you may recall, is that most GMOs are created by the Monsanto bear. Bear bought Monsanto, so people refer to it as Monsanto or bear. They produced seeds for crops that can be sprayed with their Roundup herbicide mm -hmm. and not die. So it increased the amount of Roundup used on croplands enormously. Mm -hmm. and exposed all of us to Roundup, plus the environment. It's in our food. And it was then added to non-GMO crops like wheat and oats and beans, all the grains, etc. And what this means is that it's in both GMOs and non-GMOs 
And you'll see as we talk why it's absolutely urgent to eat organic. More of the research these days is coming about on the impact of Roundup on health and the environment, and it's devastating, absolutely mm -hmm. devastating, especially because, like, I think the 300 million pounds we spray in the United States, it ends wow. up in the air. It ends up in the, in the rain. It ends up in the water, mm -hmm. and it ends up in our bodies and in our children. So it's influencing the microbiome. It's influencing smaller organisms, fish. It's influencing humans. It's actually a bigger influence than almost anyone realizes. And when people switch to organic and notice how their minds get clear, they have more energy, their skin conditions start to clear up, or any one of more than 30 different sim uh, symptoms and diseases that we have linked to GMOs and Roundup, when that starts to turn around, then they get, a, get to realize that, that they've been under the influence of this. Even the quality of their mood because their neurotransmitters now are being able to be produced. Their mm -hmm. hormones are shifted. Their energy is present and their life turns around. And that's also kind of like a microcosm or an example of what's happening in the ecosystems because the ecosystem has a similar ill health as a result of Roundup and its chief poison glyphosate. So Roundup basically is a pervasive, persistent chemical that's sprayed to kill weeds. Yes. And it's sprayed globally. That's right. And it's impacting our health significantly. It was, it was originally patented as a descaler to clean boilers and pipes in industry settings. Oh my gosh. I didn't and know that's that. Because, this is the glyphosate because glyphosate, this uh, chief poison is a chelator. Now chelation, people hear about chelation and said, Oh, I want to get rid of my heavy metals. Let's go through chelation. Chelation right. is you put in something in the body, it grabs hold of the many heavy metals and brings it out. Well, chelation is the grabbing hold. And the glyphosate grabs hold of every mm. mineral. Mm -hmm. And so it's grabbing hold of the minerals along the walls built up of the, of the boilers and pipes. But it grabs hold of the minerals in our system, making them unavailable for our physiology. Most metabolic pathways re require an active available mineral as a cofactor co in order to just start the engine. So you have a lot of workers sitting around on strike or waiting until the general manager shows up and they've been chelated or grabbed or hugged or mugged by glyphosate. Now, many of the antibiotics are also chelators and that's part of how they become antibiotics. Because of the broad-scale oh. chelation mm -hmm. of glyphosate, it is a big antibiotic. But unlike virtually all the others that we know about, it is very selective in that it kills the beneficial bacteria in our gut and soil, but not the, na not the nasty ones like salmonella, botulism, E. coli, really? and the fungus that's in the ground. So let's talk about glyphosate in the ground and then we could talk about glyphosate in the body so you get a sense of what the impact is of GMOs and Roundup in the environment and in the body. And what I want to kind of point to real quick is the microbiome in soil is very similar to the microbiome in our gut, right? That's right. So that's, why, that's part of the reason why we're comparing this. Exactly. And I will mention in a few minutes my interview with microbiome expert Kieran Krishnan 
who took human microbiome and inoculated a model system that was designed to replicate the human digestive tract, fed it food for three weeks, and then fed it Roundup. Oh, my god! What happened to the microbiome was devastating. We went through 28 different conditions that people said they got better from when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic foods. And every one of those, every one of those, he said, based on the changes just in the microbiome, we could see how glyphosate alone on the impact there could elevate those diseases or promote those diseases wow. or disorders. So, let's so talk hold about, on, hold on. You interviewed him on your podcast. What's your podcast? Live healthy, be well. And what was his name? Kiran Krishnan. Great. That, partic- that particular interview was for a 90 day lifestyle upgrade. People watch my film secret ingredients about mm-hmm. families that switch to organic. They get better. Kids are no longer on the spectrum. Right. Infertile couples get pregnant people get rid of their skin conditions and they're overweight and their digestive problems and their brain fog and their cancer. And so this was people watch that go, Oh my God, I have to eat organic. And so we help people move up the learning curve. And so as part of that, I interviewed some experts to to Uh, give more inspiration. So that was that, that was where that interview lies. Great. Thank you. Go. All right. So I was talking to professor emeritus, Dr. Don Huber from Purdue University. And he is an expert at Roundup. He used to work as a contractor, even from Monsanto, but has since learned the truth. And he describes how the way that round the glyphosate works is it kills the beneficial bacteria in the soil that normally keep the pathogens in check. Glyphosate also feeds the pathogens, the the fungal-based pathogens. If you just dip a root of a crop into glyphosate and take it out, as as a researcher from the USDA did, there was a four to five hundred percent increase in the fungal pathogens in the root. I've seen the pictures. And what happens is, so in the soil, you end up promoting soil-based pathogens, and you also damage the microbiome in the soil including the, the bacteria that creates the sponginess and gives it structure so it becomes more compactified. So if, you, if, you, if you're out in a field in Iowa where I used to live and you look at GMO corn in one field and non-GMO corn in another after a rain, the non-GMO corn field has no puddles. The GMO corn field has all these puddles because the soil is compactified. You mm-hmm. get the runoff and that destroys you know, from Iowa, it'll destroy, it'll create a algae bloom and a dead zone in the Gulf. So the increase in those fungal-based pathogens has taken dozens of pathogens, plant pathogens that were pretty much in check and okay, and just caused skyrocketing in the United States when he estimates, you know, millions or billions of dollars worth of damage. But he said that when you put glyphosate onto a crop in sterile soil, there's no pathogens. You stunt the crop because it has no minerals to develop, but it doesn't kill it. But if you take that same plant in field soil and you apply glyphosate, the plant dies. He said, it's not the glyphosate that kills the plant. It's the fungal-based, it's the soil pathogens oh. from, the, from, the, from the ground that kill the plant. The plant's immune system, it doesn't really have an immune system, but its protective system is suppressed. So now let's take the same model 
And if you take glyphosate, it can suppress our ability to fight off disease mm -hmm. and it can promote the dangerous pathogens in our gut. And there's other ways that it'll actually amplify other toxins from the environment by not letting us detoxify and then creates all sorts of disease. So there's that model and it causes widespread changes in the global microbiome as it spreads. So just kills off the microbiome. It kills off all the plant biodiversity, suppresses the growth of insects and birds. So people walk around in Argentina where they have miles and miles of genetically engineered Roundup Ready soybeans. And they tell me it's like a factory. No other living things except the soybeans, no insects, no birds, no other wow. crops. Mm -hmm. They spray with airplanes without actual farmers. And it's like this out of, you know, dead zone, dead zone, except yeah. for these dangerous, toxic crops that no one should be eating. So that's, that's an example of one of the factors of Roundup. And there's many more that we can talk about. So Roundup was kind of a afterthought in the GMO space. Is that a... Well, actually, no. Actually, no. Monsanto pioneered Roundup GMOs because glyphosate was going off patent in the year 2000. Oh, and so right. if it simply went off patent, they were, they were making billions of dollars. Yeah. And they wanted to force farmers to buy their brand of glyphosate, which was called Roundup, instead of the knockoffs that were going to be coming from China, which did come from China. So when they, they created Roundup-ready crops, it's very interesting. It's very logical. There was a chemical waste dump near a factory that was full of glyphosate, and there was bacteria that didn't die in the presence of this antibacterial. And they said, great, let's put it in the food supply. So they took the gene from the bacterium that allowed it to survive in the presence of glyphosate and put it into soybeans. Oh, interesting. And so now the soybeans survive. Right. Right? So then they spray the heck out of the soybeans, even after they've grown up into plants, a lot of the glyphosate gets gathered into the soybean and we eat the soybean and you can't wash it off because it's inside. Inside. The yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's how it was developed. It wasn't an afterthought. It was the reason the biotech industry developed GMOs was to sell more chemicals and to sell more rather than the generic brand to sell their version. Yeah. Wow. So I've always pondered, so there are GMOs and we're going to kind of put GMOs aside for this conversation and talk about the impact. And actually for the, for our listeners that, that may not know what a GMO is, give me one minute on a GMO. Basically you use a laboratory technique to alter the DNA, not through traditional breeding, but either you put foreign genes in there or you go and you snip and you edit the genetic code, either one causes massive collateral damage. We're babes in the woods in terms of understanding the impact of that. There's typically hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA of mm -hmm. a GMO crop, and we put it in the environment where it then reproduces and becomes a permanent part of the gene pool, passing yeah. its corrupted genetic code into the environment for all future generations to deal with. And that is what I'm mostly concerned about right there is the impact of not doing enough research, making these genetically modified organisms or transgenic organisms, and just putting them out in the public domain. And that's got to be a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. So there's a disaster both in terms of its impact on health and its impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. And you see, we talked about the massive collateral damage. So 
for example, the genetically engineered soybeans has as much as a sevenfold increase in a known allergen called trypsin inhibitor that blocks the digestion of protein. So it also has less protein. It also has an anti-nutrient that's about double so that the nutritional content of your food can be suppressed. The genetically engineered Roundup Ready corn has more putrescine and cadaverine. Those are responsible for the foul odor of rotting dead bodies. They're linked to allergies. They're linked to cancer. Wow. All of these are part of the background noise of the changes in the, as a result of the process of genetic engineering, irrespective of Roundup. So they've taken GMOs and fed them to animals and had you know, uh, premature death, multiple massive tumors. They've had potentially precancerous cell growth, the digestive tract, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, changed enzymes, damaged testicles, etc. And so all of these things are part of the process of genetic engineering in terms of health. But if you look at it in terms of the environment, that is even more variables because the organism has to deal with the insects and the birds and you know, the insects, the beneficial insects can end up damaged both from the, and sometimes you can't tell whether it's the GMO or the Roundup. So for example, when there was a, or the BT toxin, there's corn that produces a toxin that kills insects. Yes. And that gets by the way, in. by the way, that toxin BT bacillus thuringiensis is something that's naturally occurring that we as organic gardeners can use, right? Right. Yeah. I can, I can speak a little bit about that since you have gardeners there. Because I want to make sure I don't scare them from using the spray version of BT. So BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, is soil bacteria. Mm -hmm. And if you gather up the spores and the bacteria and you spray it on your crops when there's a big caterpillar infestation, it'll poke holes in the guts of those insects to kill them. They won't die instantly. They'll die over this process. Now, what happens is the BT washes off in the rain and it biodegrades in the sun. Yep. So by the time you eat your food, you will likely have little or none on the food. But as an applicator, you still want to be careful. Yeah. Farm, farm workers turned out to have an antibody response to BT. When it was sprayed for, in the Pacific Northwest for gypsy moths, uh -huh. about 500 people reported allergy and flu-like symptoms. Oh, Six had to go to the hospital. So it was interesting that the biotech industry pretends that BT toxin is safe. They ignore the published peer-reviewed studies on the farm workers. They ignore the spraying in the Pacific Northwest. And they also claim, you see, BT toxin in its natural state is not immediately a toxin. It has to be cleaved in a certain way in the alkaline gut of an insect. Oh, interesting. So, they say it doesn't affect mammals. Now, if it doesn't affect mammals, it wouldn't affect the farm workers and it wouldn't affect the people, the 500 people in the Pacific Northwest. And they applied it to mice and they had an immune system response, not only directly, but it also made them sensitive to formerly harmless compounds, which could mean it could make us allergic to a variety of foods. Right. So they ignored, the EPA ignored the peer-reviewed published studies showing that it did affect mammals and humans. They ignored the advice of their scientific advisory panel, and they allowed genetic engineers to take that gene and put it into soy in the South America, corn and cotton in the United States. And now the corn, for example, that we eat has the BT toxin in it. But unlike the sprayed version, it's encapsulated in every cell. It doesn't wash off. It doesn't biodegrade in the sun. 
Furthermore, it's thousands of times more concentrated than the spray form. Furthermore, they change the molecular structure so it is immediately toxic and doesn't need to be cleaved in the alkaline gut of an insect. Oh, my God. You should see my face. I'm just baffled here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then they took a bunch of it and, and put it in a Petri dish with human cells, and they found little holes in the human cells, and they're the same shape and size of the holes that are that kill insects, right? Yeah. So now they found in the in the blood of pregnant women in Canada, 93% of the pregnant women tested had Bt toxin in their blood, and 80% had it in their unborn fetuses. Now, how does it get into the blood? Well, if it's poking holes in the in the cells, mm-hmm. maybe it goes through those holes, a kind of leaky gut, to get into the bloodstream, and it's been found to be toxic to red blood cells. And it wow. also can promote allergic responses. Mm-hmm. Now it's in 80% of the unborn fetuses. There's no blood-brain barrier developed in the fetus. Now we have a hole poking toxin circulating in the blood of the fetus, and it might end up causing damage to the brain. You see, now the next question is, how can 93% of the pregnant women in Canada have it? Because it should wash out quickly. But they're not like in in Mexico where they eat corn tortillas every day. Most of the corn consumption in Canada is through corn syrup and corn sugars and things that don't have any more BT protein in it. Uh So the authors of the study speculated that it was from the milk and meat of animals that are fed BT corn and BT cotton. And there's another way, though. The only human feeding study ever conducted on the GMOs that we eat was basically they fed a single meal to people with genetically engineered soybeans. In that study, which was published in 2004 in Nature Biotechnology, they confirmed that part of the gene from the soybean that was inserted into soybean, remember that the bacterial gene that allowed the soybean to yep. not die when sprayed with Roundup, yeah. the Roundup-ready gene, part of that ended up integrated into the DNA of bacteria living inside our intestines. Now, we don't know if it continued to function producing proteins, but imagine for a moment that you're eating a corn chip and the toxin, the BT toxin gene, the, the gene that produces the toxin, transfers to the gut bacteria and continues to function. That means it could turn our intestinal flora into living pesticide factories. So one alternate explanation as to why 93% of the pregnant women in Canada tested had BT toxin in their blood was because they were producing it in their own gut bacteria 24-7. Their own intestinal flora turned into pesticide factories. And remember what happened with high concentrations in the Petri dish in the lab, it poked holes in human cells. Yeah. And it causes an allergic response to itself, and it creates more sensitivity to other potential allergens, and it can poke holes in cells perhaps around the body, and it's toxic to red blood cells. So this is an example of the BT toxin inside us, and I haven't even told you what happened to the marine ecosystem when it gets washed into rivers. Now, isn't there a, and I'm drawing in my way back mind, wasn't there a connection between BT toxins being released in corn and celiac disease? Do you know? So here's the thing. I, I think I was the first person to raise the issue publicly that GMOs and Roundup prepare the system for getting uh, reactions to gluten. Now, some would argue that celiac is not environmentally stimulated, but it's more genetic, whereas other experts say, no, it is. There was a study after my paper came out 
uh, one of my advisors mm -hmm. uh, for that paper, Stephanie Seneff from MIT, she co-authored a paper showing that glyphosate reactions in the body fit hand in glove with reactions to gluten. And there's a number of ways that that happens. Gluten reactions can occur when there's leaky gut. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that Bt toxin can poke holes in cells, but glyphosate separates cells. You can see this in a Petri dish, which is another form of oh, leaky gut. There's leaky gut between cells. There's leaky gut inside mm. cells. Leaky gut is no laughing matter. Alessio Fasano from Harvard, one of the most amazing credentialed scientists and doctors I've ever read about, wrote an article saying all disease begins in the leaky gut. All disease. Wow. So I can go into the mechanics of that, but just trust me, if you have leaky gut, you want to fix it. But you also don't want to have Bt toxin or Roundup in your food because that can promote leaky gut. You can watch on a video, if you put a little bit of glyphosate in a Petri dish with human epithelial cells, they go, wow, they separate like, Whoa. Wow. And so that could be happening inside us. They could then allow undigested proteins to go into the, there's only one, one cell thick in our right. guts. Uh -huh. and so it can go into the blood supply, the undigested proteins, the chemicals, the bacteria, sepsis. There's all sorts of things that can happen you don't want in your blood. There's a whole reason why you have, you know, all these fingers that can absorb very tiny, itsy bitsy pieces of, of nutrients. If you spread it all out, it would be the size of two tennis courts. Wow. That's the interface. Mm -hmm. And you want it, and you have a whole way of breaking it down. The microbiome works with the human body. We've outsourced a bunch of the, the, pro the projects to the microbiome for it to do the work, to keep the mucosal layer intact. Most of, a lot of our in immune system is there. In comes Roundup destroys a lot of the microbiome, destroys some of that mucosal layer, creates gaps between the cells. Here comes the BT toxin poking holes in the cells. And now you have the basis for so wow. many diseases. Right. So many diseases. And we have charts, the correlational charts, which don't prove causation, but are supportive evidence showing that all these diseases are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup in the food supply. And some of the correlations are shockingly nearly perfect. You know, autism in six-year-olds, 0.997 uh, correlation. A one is a perfect correlation. Oh, I mean, it's just, it looks like it's exact. exact. Yeah, and, yeah it, 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 we can explain why we think glyphosate is linked, but we don't have to. All right. Well, you know, you and I could talk for days on this stuff. Yeah, and, we, and we have. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. So let's talk about what people can do. Because you, you mentioned early on in our talk some of the things that people can do to fix this for themselves or to work on fixing this. So yeah, you and I are dedicated to solutions. And if we stop now, that would really be bad. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. death, disease, destruction, and despair. Goodbye. Yeah. No, actually all of our, my work for 25 years in this is to drive positive change. And the good news is we've been enormously successful. Huge. We have evidence. Yeah. So we have evidence that first of all, switching to organic is a remarkably first step for any healthy lifestyle, any healthy diet, recovery, prevention, whatever. It is, it is I, I can't say it's essential because there are people that have recovered not on organic diets, right. but I have talked to doctors who say, if you're eating GMOs and Roundup, don't bother trying to heal your disease. And if you're, mm. if you're not eating GMOs and Roundup, you may not have the disease. 
We have people that get better. You'll see in the movie Secret Ingredients. You can see that at livehealthybewell.com. You can see that when people shift, they get better. And when they shift back, when they lapse, their symptoms can come back. That ver The doctors say, that tells them that it's the food, right? We have, I've interviewed Barbara Royal, who's Oprah's veterinarian. And she says that when she discovered GMOs and Roundup as the problems, she then realized why all of a sudden dogs and cats are having so much cancer and allergies. And then she would she just started to prescribe a better diet and was so shocked with the results. Now, the except in rare cases, the only thing she does with a new patient is says, put them on this diet and come back in a few weeks. She says up to 90 percent <laughs> of wow. all the problems are managed in two weeks. No, in a few weeks. Oh, in a few weeks. Okay. Up to 90 percent. Wow. She said. Half of them are completely gone. The others are managed. And she's like, that's it. It's the food supply. Now, we have a similar thing here. You switch to non-GMO and organic, life is different. And so we've been educating people. And fortunately, the numbers of people choosing non-GMO and organic mm -hmm. are skyrocketing. Organics went up 12% last year. Non-GMO, 51% of Americans think it's food is unsafe, you know, GMO food. And that's true, 48% in the world. So there's a tipping point underway, forcing it out of the food supply. That's great. Now there's new GMOs, GMOs 2.0, gene editing. And the biotech industry has convinced the U.S. government, is trying to convince Canada, is trying to convince the U.K., has convinced Japan, Argentina, Brazil, to turn a blind eye to all the GMOs produced by gene editing. So that means they could put a gene edited product in the market. You won't know that it's, it's a GMO. Wow. And it has also massive collateral damage. It also has all sorts of things that can go wrong. So if you go to protectnaturenow.com, you can access our, you can watch the film that you mentioned, you introduced me. Don't let the gene out of the bottle. It's just 16 minutes. You can get involved with our advocacy platform, get information out to Congress, get information out to media in just, a, just like two minutes, you know, click and send, click and send, click and send or customize. Yeah, and you've actually designed this to make it super simple. Tell us a little oh. bit about that. Well, yeah. So it turns out for years, I was dealing with politicians around the world, but rarely in the United States because there was, <laughs> they there didn't was want a, to hear it. No, it was like they were marching lockstep with Monsanto, and I figured yeah. I don't want to waste my time in Capitol Hill. I would talk to staffers. They'd love what I was doing and say, okay, here's what you have to do. And they'd lay out a multi-year plan that would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that might not work. Oh, I'm like... No, no, I'm going to work with what I know, moving consumer dollars to non-GMO, which will change everything. Right. But with, with gene editing, we're trying to protect, for example, the microbiome from not just Roundup, but from genetically engineered microbes. You introduce them, they can travel the world, they can mutate, they can swap genetic information, they can wreak havoc in a way that is a cataclysm, not just a catastrophe, a cataclysm. So in order to do that, human choices in a supermarket aren't going to stop the release of a GMO micro. And people can buy kits and do this at home now, right? Yeah. What's Amazon. Up you can buy a do-it-yourself gene editing kit under, under $200. You can build your whole laboratory and have all sorts of flexibility for 2000 Those prices are going down. You can do mail order for the price of going out to dinner. You can get a, a specific product that produces a new microorganism. So you can produce a new New microorganism every day. Name it and bring wow. it for a walk. Creating releases in the environment. And remember what we said earlier. 
there's no recall. It becomes a permanent part of the gene yeah. pool. But unlike genetically engineered cows or humans or plants, microbes swap their genes directly. Not only do they reproduce quickly, but they'll go to swap meets and the gene that you put in there to, for one purpose ends up in another species or even in another kingdom could wreak, could wreak havoc. So oh, we're right. trying to lock down all releases of GMO microbes uh -huh. and we have a lot of traction, but it turns out in order to get movement among the members of Congress and state assemblies, you need to demonstrate support. And mm. so we have a advocacy platform where you go enter your address, whether in the United States and Canada, EU, UK, or Australia, and all of your elected officials become populated. And oh, you can send them, nice. You can send them in one, one hit a pre-written article or pre-written, it, it'll, it'll attach something like we're sending out white paper and a legislative report. We sent our film out. We sent our the trailer to the film. We have a whole series of, of campaigns and white papers planned and videos planned. And, you know, in our first three campaigns, we reached over 2,000 elected officials. And then there's a way to send it to five media in your area. We, re we reached 1,333 media outlets. Wow. And that's expanding. And so now the people on Capitol Hill and other places, they know about us. And they know <laughs> it. And the pandemic turns out to be the have done the heavy lifting to get everyone to realize, yeah, microbes travel around the world. Right. Yeah, microbes can wreak havoc. Yeah. This is the best time in, in my history, in world history, to introduce this topic to create change. It has the political will. It has the popular acceptance. We're compiling not just don't release GMO microbes, but don't do those gain of function genetic enhancements of the pathogens, which if they escaped would produce another pandemic. Duh. So but if you really want to implement the, the lessons of the pandemic, don't just block those in laboratory enhancements. You've got to block the, the intentional release of GMO microbes everywhere because the microbiome is so life critical, life critical for the soil, life critical mm -hmm. for the entire ecosystem, all of them, life critical for our ecosystem. 80% of diseases are linked to changes in the microbiome and not only are we destroying the microbiome with glyphosate and antibiotics, but if you genetically engineer a new element that has not been part of the billions of years of evolution, and it sort of like gets a Trojan horse because it looks like it's, an, it's the same species that we used to work with, yeah. but it does something different. That could, be, that could collapse ecosystems. Wow. So what to do? Yes. Go to protect, go to protect first of all, eat organic. Just eat organic, take notes, do it for a few weeks, Put all of your, your symptoms, your energy level, your mood every day, the percentage of organic that you're eating, and watch the change so that you can monitor your own change and see what aspects of your life it's affecting. Second, go to protectnaturenow.com and watch the film. Don't let the gene out of the bottle. Go to the advocacy platform. Make your voices heard. And let's protect nature now. This is really a way to do it. Go to Live Healthy, Be Well. Dot com if you need some more support to become organic, either convincing with the film Secret Ingredients or support how to do it with the 90-day lifestyle upgrade. My main, my main point here, Greg, is this. You're, you're dealing with gardeners. They get out and do stuff. They're, they, yes. they do stuff, right? Yes. Let's do stuff about our health. Let's do stuff about our planet. If you learn about something and you're inspired right now 
Don't wait three days to do it because so many things can happen in three days. It becomes a rumor. Some, Yeah, I remember three days ago I was going to do something. No, no. Today, now, this soon as we stop listening, before you stop listening, get on there, do something. And you can also support the work we're doing at Protect Nature Now by making a donation to our nonprofit. And ideally, on a monthly basis, so it's automatic, so we know how much money is coming in so we can hire and fill out our organizational chart because we have to stop this release in this generation when yeah. otherwise hundreds of thousands of GMOs were be introduced. We can replace nature as we know it, eliminate biological evolution as we know it, and there's no recall. So you got a sense, a little tiny sense of the dangers of GMO, the dangers of Roundup. It's way bigger. But the solution is at hand, and it is unbelievably good timing because of the pandemic. This is one obvious, absolute silver lining of the pandemic that is irrefutable. It's like people, there's an unmet need to reduce the possibility of future pandemics. And now everyone understands the microbial world a little more. People want to do something. This is the time. It's like strike when the iron is hot. It is boiling hot around the world. We can do this. We can bring in support from both sides of the aisle. We have Congress people from Republican side and the Democratic side that want to support us. And we want to, we have to open, it's not just the U.S. As if you've been paying attention, we have an ecosystem. If a microbe can travel around the world and the U.S. locks it down, so what? Right. You know, we need to lock it down around the world. And so we want it to be part of the Convention on Biological Diversity, the UN. We want all these different groups and open up offices and build movements around the world. We started gathering global allies just this year. And you're welcome to become an ally, please, Greg. Over 50 organizations, that's got to grow by 10 or, or 100 so that we end up in each of the movements, in the regenerative agriculture movement where the microbiome is relied on to do the heavy lifting. Obviously, it's what's going to sequester carbon. You know, we need to do this with the climate change. We need to do this with ocean protections, animal rights, human mm -hmm. health, mm -hmm. gardeners, gardeners, gardeners. How does the soil work? Through the microbiome. How does it build? Through the microbiome. How does compost work? Through the microbiome. How do you destroy the microbiome? Use Roundup or create GMOs. Yeah. And if we allow a GMO to be released anywhere on the planet, it can end up in your compost, destroying the combination and systems that have developed over billions of years that support life on the planet. So you don't want those genes produced in laboratories and ending up in your soil or in your body or in your, in your food. So this is where gardeners can say, you know, I'm going to protect gardens. I'm going to protect soil and I'm going to protect life. I'm going to protect nature now. So this is really critical. And there's one other thing, one other thing. Tell me. Share this. Share this yes. podcast. Share this podcast. Shit. If you, if you get on there and you see the film, share the film. If you get on the advocacy platform and you do that work, tell your friends you did it. If you make a donation, $10 a month, let's say, say, I just gave $10 a month. Watch this film. I would encourage you to do the same. The thing is this, just as with the GMO issue, this is the same thing that I was doing for 25 years in terms of getting a critical number, but it's different. Before we needed a certain number of people choosing non-GMO and it would be a tipping point and the food industry would switch in order to maintain market share. Right. Here we need a critical number of people to know this and to act on it and to support this effort. And then the Congress people who are now interested, the state assembly people who are now interested go, okay, I'm ready. I got this many people on my side, 
if I say for, if I move forward, I know I'm going to get flooded with all this social media support because we'll let you know when to go hit the next button. And they can then, and we'll give them all this media. We are going to make this happen. It is so obvious that now is the time we need to make it happen because now is the inevitable time in human history where we can redirect the streams of evolution for all time and, yes. and end biological evolution as yeah. we know it. So now is the time that the new technology requires new responsibility. And it's beautiful, Greg, in that the responsibility is that we get to steward nature, which yes. all of your gardeners of know and love. Yeah. That's what we talk about all the time. Absolutely. You know, I love your passion. Thank you for that. I have said for years, shit happens in the world because somebody says so. So <laughs> thank, thank you for saying so, Jeffrey. You know, Greg, you, you have a great audience for this. Yeah. We should do this again and again. And the thing is, I'd like to encourage your audience, and I'm going to just step out of bounds here, but, you know, I'm an activist. There you go. Bounds don't hold me anyway. If people listening do this and get in, and get involved because of, of your urban urban uh, farm uh, stuff, uh, yep, urban farm stuff. Tell Greg, send oh, yes. him a beautiful, fat testimonial of what you did and how you feel about it and what the results were. If you know, send him a testimonial. Greg, share that. Just in, you're interviewing someone. Just say it before we go or before we start. I just want to tell you and give the website and keep it lively. Yeah. This is not a one and done. No, you know, this we're is ongoing we're changing the orientation of the human mind towards nature we have to because our life depends on it it's an existential threat in order to do this it is a sustained effort we talk about sustainable gardening this is sustainable change sustainable activism mm -hmm. sustainable education and it takes a commitment first you start then you repeat yep then keep, you repeat. keep on keep on yeah. keep on you know, in 1991, I did the advanced course at Landmark Education. And in the advanced course, they encourage us to create a vision for our life. And my vision is that I am the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. And it gets me up every day. And I can tell by the way you speak, you have one of those too. And, and, it's, and it's a pretty, pretty similar set yeah. of goals here. Yeah. Yes. And thank you. And, and this, is a, this is something... I want to encourage also to your listeners. When I, on my, I have a T-shirt that has one of my slogans: "Think huge, thinking big is so last century." <laughs> what you just described, and I've mentioned this to you before, what you just described is is magnificent. And I remember interviewing Alison Armstrong, who's a great researcher into men and women. She goes, she'll ask someone, "What is your big vision?" Yeah. And they'll start with the big vision, and then the how monster stifles yep. it. The how monster is like. But I don't know how. And all of a sudden, yep. all of a sudden it just becomes sucked dry. Yeah. And she says, you can see it happen in, in a second. Yes. And so you gave a vision of what you want and you did not succumb to the hell monster. No. Right. I, I also made a commitment and, yes. you know, I, I've traveled to 45 countries, written two books, made five films and, and trained 1500 people to speak on GMOs and organized over 10,000 activists and over a hundred groups in North America. I didn't know how to do that to start. Right. And then, and then recently we said, oh my God, the microbiome is under attack from gene editing. Yes. If we don't stop it, we could lose life on the planet. I think we'll start a new global movement. <laughs> I didn't know how to do that because I used to just focus on consumer behavior. Now I got to get laws passed all over the world. Okay, let's talk to those who are experts to do that. Yeah, we don't know how to you do know? that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Just got to jump in 
and make a big audacious goal. And it's what, you know, mind what gets me up every morning. So Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Jeffrey, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the urban farm podcast today. Oh man, you're awesome. And I, I, I look forward to you passing on some of those beautiful testimonials from the people listening now. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so just remind everybody how we can find you. Okay. ProtectNatureNow.com, LiveHealthyBeWell.com. And we have a universe of others. We have PetsAndGMOs.com. Oh my God. We ought to do a podcast about that because I recently listened to your interview about pet food and GMOs and how it's killing pets. Let's get on. Let's do that one. Yeah, let's do that. Watch the 10 minute film on petsandgmos.com. Yeah. Then we'll talk. All right, cool. All right. All right. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash protect nature now. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.